0: You'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter three. We are continuing our study in the book of Proverbs. And this morning we find ourselves at verses nine through 12. And if you have been reading the scripture, um, again, it seems like a, an odd place to make a, a break or to, to focus on. And hopefully I can explain that this morning. It is a continuation. Of the verses that we saw last week, where it was a verse, and then it was the blessing that came after it, so it was the command and blessing command blessing, um, and it continues with verse nine and ten, where there 's the command and then the blessing that comes from fulfilling that. but I want to give uh, special attention to verses nine through twelve this morning because I, I do think uh, Ray Ortland gets it right, and this is what Ray Ortland, a, a pastor PCA pastor up in Nashville. Uh, says about this passage. He says, When life is sweet, trusting God with all of our hearts feels unnecessary. Hear that? When life is sweet, trusting God with all of our hearts feels unnecessary because we've got it. But he also says, When life is bitter, trusting God with all of our hearts feels impossible. When life is bitter... Trusting God with all of our hearts feels impossible. And so I want to look at this passage this morning because I do want to see how do we honor God in good times and how do we honor God in hard or bitter times. Hear the word of the Lord this morning Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your word, we ask that the Holy Spirit would give us an understanding to understand why you have written these words, not only to those back there from Solomon, but Lord, how you want to apply it to us today. So Lord, teach us, but more than anything, transform us into the likeness of your Son Jesus Christ. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen. So the first thing we're going to see in verses nine and ten is how do we honor the Lord in good times? And so we should ask the question: What does it mean to honor? And so what's happening here is there's a sense of uh, the the author is telling his son: You should respect the Lord for his character as well as his word. So it's a respect for who God is and who he, just in the essence of who he is. But it's also a respect then for what he tells us to do and how to live our lives. And so it's that understanding that even when the world is telling us that things can't happen, can, things can't work, God is saying, I am the one who does the impossible. I am the one who knows what wisdom is. So therefore honor who I am. A great example of this would be Chick-fil-A. I mean, here was a business who was told, hey, you can't run a fast food restaurant and not be open on Sunday. You're going to go under. You're not going to succeed. This will not happen. And yet now Chick-fil-A is the number one fast food restaurant in the nation. Everyone seeking to try to go after them and yet he made a statement of saying, I will be closed on Sunday so that myself and my employees can go and worship the Lord as what he told us. And so with his honoring of God, God says, then I'm going to honor you. And so what happens is there's an understanding that when we honor, we do it a couple of different ways. One, we can do it with our body and spirit. What do I mean by that? Well, it means that we can do ministry. We can do work. And so we can go out and we can say, oh, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm doing that for the Lord. And so we do it in work. We can also do it in worship. Hey, we're coming to, to corporate worship. We're we're a part of the body of Christ. And so we come together and we worship. And so we are giving to God. We are honoring him with our body and spirit. But there's a part of our lives that becomes sometimes hard to, to give away, maybe. And he says, I want you very specifically to honor Lord with your wealth. See, for me, if I'm honest, that's, that's an area that I struggle with a lot of times. Ask me to do things for Jesus. Yeah, I'll go lead a Bible study. I'll go to PAL. I'll do this. I'll go, go to the hospital. I'll visit those kind of people. Come to worship? Yeah, I'll come to worship. I'll come to even hymn sings. I'll, you know, I might even raise my hand this high in the giving and worship and stuff like that. But when you tell me to start giving my wealth, that's a little bit harder for me. Now, part of that's my own baggage coming out and thinking that I grew up as white trash and we didn't have anything. And when my parents got divorced and all that kind of stuff, I had to go to work to pay my own bills, let alone the bills of my my family. So there's a part of me that, I have to deal with that issue. But there's also a part of me that really does struggle. And I remember because I'm a person who likes to know what's in my checking account all the time. So I would go and I'd get my paycheck and then I'd write out all the bills. And then I would look at what's left and I would go, oh man, that's not great. And I would say, well, how much do I give to God? Well, maybe I'll make it up on the next check. And then I married a wife. Well, she became my wife. But I married a woman whose first check was to the church. I was like, well, that doesn't make sense to me. Because what about all the other bills that we have to pay? But from the beginning, she was just like, well, why wouldn't we give God the first? I said, well, you know what you need to do? You need to write the checks. Because my heart's not in it. See, sometimes we, we deal with our wealth with God like tax day, right? We don't want to give that. And if I had the opportunity and if I didn't think it would come back on me, if I had to pay taxes, then I would pay it in pennies just to be spiteful to the government. I owe $100, great, here's $100 in pennies Enjoy. But how do we give to the Lord? Is it grudgingly? Or is it out of the overflow of our heart in worship? It's a reason why we take up the tithes and offering is because it's an, it's an overflow. It's a continuation of our worship to give God our best. Not just, not just in song, not just in the word, but through our giving of our wealth. And so we come and give to him. But the question then becomes, well, how how do we deal with wealth? I mean, a lot of times we look at wealth and we honor ourselves. We we think we are the ones who are self-important. I earn this. I deserve this. And so it becomes a thing where we become self-important. But here's a a quote from Ray Ortlund. He said, self-importance is unsustainable. Don't believe me? Look at all the castles that are empty. See, we can get so caught up in trying to think that, that we are doing some things and we are making a name for ourselves, but the way that you, you know how you make a name for yourself is by the way that you honor God. Honor God with all that we have, not trivializing Him, not just simply trying to give Him the leftovers, but when we honor Jesus, when we honor Christ, when we honor the Holy Spirit, the more relevant we become. Because we give to a greater kingdom, not to our kingdoms, but to the kingdom. And so it's with that overflow of desire, that overflow of worship to give all that we have to Christ. Now there is a word, and I want you to understand, um, this is why I tell you to read at least four translations of the gospel. If you look in your Bibles, if you have the ESV, the NIV, um, or many others, it would say in verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruit, fr- I cannot say that word, first fruits of all your produce. Now if you have a new American standard, that says from. Now what's, why is it so important that we make this distinction? Why is one word such a difference? Because it's not semantics, I don't believe here. When we say with your wealth, then you can say things like, hey, when I do good things, when I give my money to Powell, when I, I give snacks to, the, to pal, I'm giving good things. I'm with doing things with my money. When I take my wife out and, and go on a date, I'm doing good things with my money. Now, it's very different when you say from your wealth, because from your wealth means that God gets a cut. So I'm not just doing good things with my money, I'm doing things from my money to give back to God himself. So it's from, so if you have an ESV, NIV, your Bible says that your pastor is giving you permission, mark it out and put from. That's okay, you can write in your Bibles, from your wealth, worship God. So make sure that God's getting a cut now the question becomes because a lot of people go to this passage and they start arguing in regards to well what does first fruits mean does that mean i give from the gross of my money or from the net of my money i'll see now i'm meddling right now it's supposed to be from the best of the harvest so most people would argue that from this passage we would give from the gross of your money. Now that's stepping on toes. Now here's my understanding. I'm not going. I don't know, and I don't go. I don't know how much anybody gives in this church. I don't check up on you. I don't. I don't go and say, "Hey, read how much are you making? Let me see your checkbook and let me see, are you really giving ten percent? Really, ten percent is a minimum." See, the reality is, is that we need to talk when we talk about first fruits, what's our heart issue? Because listen, all that we have is God's. All. And all he asks is for a portion back. And for that to do the work of the church. It doesn't go into Jesus' coffers. It doesn't go into his pockets. He doesn't get new robes every Sunday because we've given money. It goes to the work of the church. It goes to give glory and honor to God. And so the question doesn't shouldn't be, do I give from the grocer or from the net? Because that's legalism. Okay? You figure out from your own heart what is what you should give. Listen, what does the Bible say about the widow? And it says, and he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. It's about the heart of the issue. One of this in a real life uh, thing is when you go to seminary, you become poor. And so you you go around, you ask family members and friends, hey, will you support me? We'll give you money. And I remember one letter uh, that came in. It was from Lynn Teague, one of my mentors. And he said, Jeff, I'm sending you a check. The check was in the envelope. It's for $200. Do not cash this. Because I don't I don't have this money in my account. But I felt God saying to give you $200 this month. So wait to hear from me. Later that week, I get a phone call from Lenny. He says, Jeff, I just want you to tell the story. I got a check for $200 in the mail this week. Cash the check. Real life. See, we can honor the Lord with our wealth. We can give to his glory and honor. What that amount is, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. And I'm definitely not going to let you off the hook with 10%. Because it could be so much more or maybe less. So we worship with our giving of the wealth. Now again, this is also a passage where people in the health and wealth gospel come to, and they say, see, God says if you honor God with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce, if you send me your money... Then I'll pray for you on the TV screen. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now why is the health and wealth gospel wrong if they say they follow scripture? I'm going to give you three very specific things. One, they misplace the understanding that we live in a fallen world. Which means people suffer. I don't care how wise you are with your money. Sometimes things don't work out. People, there will always be poor. That's the promise that God gave to us. There will always be poor people. Why? I don't know. So the health and wealth gospels, when they they begin to tell these lies, they forget that, hey, people suffer. The second thing that they do, they bypass Jesus. Hey, if you give this money, then God's going to make you happy and he's going to give you this overflowing information. Well, where does that leave Jesus. One of the struggles for us in the Western world and in first world countries is that we lose sight of God because we have such an abundance. We don't need him. We can fix it on our own. And the third thing that the health and wealth gospel doesn't do is they don't promise enough prosperity. If, you, if you're only looking to this world to have riches, then you are very short-sighted. Because the reality is is that, yes, God is saying that if you do these things, there will be plenty for some. But not all here in this world. But there is, without a shadow of a doubt, in the next life, there will be plenty for all. When you can go out there and have the streets made of gold, and they're just castaways, where you can make gates out of pearls, I mean, what kind of a place is that? That's a place where, again, you're not worried about things. You're worried about a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. And so we seek for that. We long for that, knowing that even if this life we are the the poorest of the poor, we have to look forward to that presence of Christ, where, again, all the riches that have ever been desired will be fulfilled. But how do I deal with this passage today? Today listen i want you to understand when he says this in the passage is then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine nowhere does it say and you will get lots of nice clothes you will get plenty of xbox games you will get plenty of nike shoes it doesn't say that it says that your vats will be to overflowing And that your barns will be filled with plenty. It's where you have the opportunity to, to, God gives us more, to give away more. Do you get that? God gives us more so that we can give more. So we have this opportunity to give, listen, not materially rich, we get rich in Christ. And so listen, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Rich in what? Rich in him. Remember, Jesus doesn't get anything more than what he already had. He doesn't get more glory and honor. He doesn't get more riches. He doesn't get a greater kingdom. He gets sinners. And he says it was worth it. He became impoverished so that we might become rich. So that we might gain his inheritance. And so he says, hey, I want you to give honor to God and the way that you live your life, the way that you spend your money, that you might give God the glory. Even when there's times to forget him. But then he turns the tables here in verses 11 and 12. And he says this, honor the Lord in hard times. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now, Jim said, how am I going to apply the passage that we read earlier? It's in training. God trains us. He disciples us so that we look more like Jesus Christ so again we are slow to judge we're quick to listen we're quicker to judge ourselves than to judge other people and so this understanding is he says i'm going to give you some hard times some afflictions and tribulations and so again that becomes something where again a lot of us ask the question well then does god hate me i'm going through this rough time does god hate me now, the word I want to take you to is very clear. He says, my son. Listen, if you are not a part of the family, if God was angry with you, if God didn't care, he would just leave you alone. I mean, you remember this. I mean, when you were, a, well, for me, at least a teenager, and I would go over to the Capone's house and um I would be doing stuff most likely what I shouldn't be doing with Eugene and and his parents would come out and they would find us doing stuff. And what was the first thing? Gene, you're in trouble. Now, did Mr. Capone ever spank me? No. What do you say? Jeff, go home. You're not mine. So I'm not going to discipline you. Now, he might have called my mom and said, do you know what your son did with my son? Then I would get disciplined at home. But you only receive discipline from those that love you. Now, I want to make a a big distinction because discipline is not punishment. It's not punishment. See, the Heavenly Father cherishes you. He cherishes you. And so when you endure suffering or afflictions, it's not to get you. God is not up there saying, Oh, well, they didn't have enough quiet times today, so... That's us, right? If I was the creator and you were the creation and you were the little weeble wobble or whatever, and I'd started moving you down the road and you kept falling over or whatever, done. Next. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and for some reason, a lot of us get this picture of God like that. Oh, we're, we're dealing with punishment. He hates us. He's getting back at us. No. Never. Loves you, and he cherishes you, and he allows affliction. Why to transform us into Christ? He transforms us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so, sometimes we need to be humbled. Sometimes we need discipline. And so what he says, he says, one, don't despise it. Don't despise the discipline. Because again, if we're honest, sometimes we wish for for less love, not more love from God. Hey, if this is what love means, then I want less. Change is not easy. Listen to what, um, I got this from Clint Hurdle Jr., just to make a distinction. But he sends out these encouraging things uh, each day, but there is one from John Brubaker where it talks about the difference between amateurs and professionals. And so he was. Um, he said, yesterday I read a fascinating essay and recognized it would be helpful to everyone in an online group that I belong to. I shared it with him. And he says, a millennial in the group responded instantly saying, this takes data too far. I just want to laugh. And he says, her nine simple words illustrate the difference between professionals and amateurs in every industry. Amateurs just want to laugh professionals recognize data holds the clues to success. Amateurs just want to be entertained. Professionals read a lot because knowledge is power. Amateurs want instant gratification. Professionals practice patient and discipline. Amateurs are recreational players. Professionals are students of the game in it to win it. Amateurs practice until they begin to get a little bored. Professionals practice until they get it right and then practice some more until they can't get it wrong. Amateurs think things will fall into place. Professionals study form and structure. Amateurs believe that they just visualize results and the universe will make them appear. Professionals reverse engineer success step by step. Amateurs are know-it-alls. Professionals are learn-it-alls. Amateurs focus on appearances. Professionals let their actions speak for themselves. Amateurs talk. Professionals listen. Amateurs trust words. Professionals know better and only trust actions. Amateurs make promises. Professionals make commitments. See, it's the reality of God is changing us and he's discipling us and transforming us to look like Jesus. And that's not easy. It's not easy. Especially when your kids start pulling things back on you. Talking to my kids. They said, you know what, Dad, I remember you teaching me that going over the speed limit wasn't that big of a deal. But you have no problem beating up the congregation with don't bring food into the movie theater. I said, wait, 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 wait. Let me explain to you how Jesus would do this. No, I didn't. See, it's hard to change. It's hard to give God the glory in all things. Hard. So he says, don't despise it. And he says, and don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. Why? Because sometimes discipline in teaching is heavy. And it's long. And so don't get to the place where you're despairing. Remember these things that you can love and delight in your Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is divine. And because he's divine, he knows us and he loves us. So that means God gives us exactly what we need when we need it. And we have to trust that. We have to. Because if we don't, then we do get to the place where we say, God hates me. And God says, no, I love you, and I love you so much that I want to take you through this process. And remember, you're not alone. I'm here with you every step of the way, and I'm teaching you, and I'm going through the suffering. I'm going through the trials. And sometimes he does that through us. We need encouragement from one another. We need the helping hand. We need the shoulder to cry on. We need the attaboys. We need love. From one another. And when we do that, we know that his correction and chastening, it's to teach us to be transformed like Christ, where we can say, I want Christ more than anything. And don't you, as a, as a parent, as a coach, as a child, when you get it, aren't, what is the pleasure in that? Oh, it's so overwhelming. And that's what he calls us to. So here's the passage. Honor God in good times and in the bad. Both. And honor Him with your life and your wealth and your thoughts and your actions. Because I'm telling you, when we look more like Jesus, then we'll see the people around us and the world around us change. Change. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so many times it is true that when things are going well and the checkbook looks good, the retirement looks good, all the vehicles work, nothing leaks at the house, all the bills are paid. Lord, it's easy for us to relax and to trust that somehow we've done this. And so, Father, I thank you for this passage that tells us that all things, all good things, come from you. And, Lord, that we should honor you from our wealth. So whether through our bodies, our spirit, or, Lord, even through our checkbook, may we honor you during the good times. Lord, it's also true that we go through trials in this life, and we are too aware of afflictions and suffering whether it be physically emotionally spiritually or we get beat up so lord it is easy sometimes to question your love for us and so father allow us during those times to run back to you to to be honest with one another so lord so many times the the place where we get lied to the most is in the church how are you doing i'm just fine Lord, may we find people within this congregation where we can be open and honest and not judged. But Lord, where people would be gentle and come alongside. And Lord, maybe say some hard words, but Lord, more than anything, that they would love us the way that Christ loves us. So Father, thank you for this passage to continue to remind us to honor and to love you whether in good times or bad, because you are truly worthy to be glorified and honored every day in all things. We pray this in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen.